0: Big thanks to our two sponsors for this episode, our friends at King Canine, providing pet owners with the highest quality organic hemp products for pets available on the market, bringing joy to pet owners nationwide, helping them keep their four-legged family members healthy and happy. Use the coupon code MURPH15 at their website, kingcaninewellness.com. K-I-N-G-K-A-N-I-N-E wellness.com bill murphy show is also underwritten by zapidi makers of the pro 4k hdr media player and the rest of their line providing massive media storage capability and stunning high definition playback of virtually every audio and video codec home theater and surround sound music enthusiasts alike need to check out all the modern products available from zapidi visit them at zapidi.us.com The Bill Murphy Show.
1: The stories behind the music. And
0: new season is upon us. New episodes as we bring you our second episode of the new season. Thanks to everybody who commented, uh, liked, shared, and said kind words about the uh, first interview of the new season with Mr. Alan Parsons. Uh, By the way, a little follow-up I have already begun. The Art and Science of Sound Recording Fundamentals Course that Alan Parsons is involved with there's a link to the course and you can actually get a free trial and introduction to it you can find that on the billmurphyshow.com webpage on the alan parsons interview you can find the link to get all the information you need on that our second guest of the new season is a return guest someone who was on the show in its uh Early incarnation, some 10 years ago or so, if you can believe it or not. He's got a new album out called Songs for the Apocalypse, and it's dropping next Friday, January 22nd. We've got uh, Jason Bieler from Jason Bieler and the Baron von Bielski Orchestra on the phone with us today. How's it going, Jason?
2: I couldn't be doing any better, man. Thanks for having me.
0: And I do believe I'm the first, since the buzz has been out, um, all the interviews and I've that I've heard, and the, uh, in the even the reaction videos that I've watched. I think I'm the first host to actually pronounce the name of the band correctly.
2: Yeah, that was a prize we were going to give away uh, to uh, one lucky journalist who actually said it first. I think you're going to be a shoo-in for the uh, Samsung uh, toaster. Right. I think, I think, I'm, think I'm in the kinda...
0: r- think I'm in the running for that. Did you ever think Bielski would be pronounced weird? Was that people just skipping over your sense of humor?
2: Well, considering that I grew up as Bueller in school, I, I really had no idea what was going to happen, um, <laughs> but I just knew I just knew it would provide fun for kids.
0: All right, note to self, <clears> scratch <throat> out the note to where you say, Beeler. anyone, Beeler? anyone? Okay, <laughs> let's skip that part here. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is talk about these reaction videos. I One of the most entertaining things I stumbled upon this year, I guess I, it's been a couple of years now since I've first seen them, are these reaction videos that people are doing, whether it's classic music and you turning the new generation onto something, or in your case, some of the progressive and metal experts out there doing a quick review of your new single and saving their first listen for, you know, on camera while they watch the video and listen to the song. And uh, it's just a fascinating thing, isn't it?
2: It's, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I, I always... Really, uh, I have a tremendous amount of trepidation, like clicking on any link or any review or anything like that, because as soon as I get one that says something really wonderful, inevitably I get greedy and click on the next one that says, you know, I I should be boiled alive in some kind of vat of uh, (laughs) hybrid fats or something. So (laughs) I always try to really be careful about that. But yeah, it's it's I actually like you said, it's kind of a new thing to me to see them in general. But uh, it's kind of a neat way to see people respond to music. Um but they they they're unaware of what's gonna happen. So you're kinda getting that kind of off it's, the cuff impression.
0: It's like having a free small focus group for yourself.
2: It is and, and there was very little vomiting, uh, which I thought was good, you know, there's just a bonus. I mean, no one really got ill or sick while listening to the music. So I, I figured it was- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um So I don't know how many people are actually being very honest about the stuff they're listening to when that happens. It would be epic to see somebody have a reaction video and go, this this sucks.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I, let's follow this record for a while, and I'll be sure to forward you, because I, I can't imagine that the, this, this rainbow of positivity <laughs> that's coming my way is going to sustain itself forever. So uh, I'll be sure to keep you on a rapid-fire emergency dial list. Yeah, uh, you know, Come on,
0: you... give yourself a little bit more credit <clears throat> than that. So you're a, uh, even before the pandemic days, and of course this theme in the new season that we're doing on this podcast is I think everybody's going to have um, a chance to air their grievances about what happened last year. And I, uh, you know, at the risk of using the most overused term of the year, 2020 changed everything forever.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I have a split view of this. Um, one as uh, you know, being an empathetic human being, the sheer horror and tragedy that's befallen so many families and so many people, both economically and obviously leaving loved ones and, and, and that whole side of it um, has just been a horrible thing to, to kind of witness. Um, the secondary side of it for me has been the ability to just be home with the family and dogs um, and just really kind of readjust your mentality towards what's really important. I think sometimes the train starts rolling yeah. and you start focusing on all these things. And you, it's kind of like it, it was a forced timeout. for a lot of ill-behaved people and uh uh you know not to get reflection you know reflect too much or get you know too you know hippy dippy about the whole thing but uh i found it to be a wonderful time on a personal level that i've greatly enjoyed and i think being a spoiled human being that six months from now hopefully uh everything goes back to normal and i'll be going oh, the good old days when i could just sit home for weeks on end and You know, it's just the nature of human beings to be miserable, no matter what's going on.
0: Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to all recover that quickly. Maybe a little longer. We may have another year of semi limbo here uh, ahead of us. And well, I I, I don't know. If you look up
2: across our country and all the bright, smart people doing the right thing, I don't see how it could possibly take any
0: longer. Oh, right, because we're so responsible and so sensible. Right, I see. Right, and
2: we we're a caring nation. We're we're a good
0: people. Yeah.
2: Right. And uh, so I mean I- I'm going to go for 3 months, but if you're going to be negative then... about <laughs> it. Mr. Optimism.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's let's get let, let all right, if you really want to get semi-serious for a second, I think it's going to take all of this year to completely reinvent liability insurance because that is going to be the biggest enemy of the music industry and the chance of live music happening again at any great scale for probably this entire year
2: yeah i mean I, I talking to everybody across the spectrum of people i know people are being unbelievably cautiously optimistic thinking that late summer fall there's potential i'm prepared for that to you know maybe be the beginning of even the next year if that has to be the case yeah um but i, I think you're going to have a lot of people that as, as the vaccine starts to ramp up not only here but globally I think your bigger issue is going to be you're going to have a chunk of people that are not going to get vaccinated for whatever their reasons are and how you deal with that yep. at a show. Yep. Uh, and, and do you have to show an I.D. that you've been vaccinated? And this, I think mean, that's going to cause a, a, a just a slowdown of uh, anything. I mean, to me, I'm, I, I'm all for people having their own view on things. But I mean, I see these people in 7-Eleven eating pickled pig's feet and they're concerned all of a sudden with within a vaccine. Uh-huh. Like, uh, like, like they, that's going to ruin their life.
1: Right. Um, right. It's like,
2: you know, you're drinking power energy drinks full of sugar and caffeine and all kinds of chemicals and rapid fire energy and Viagra and every other kind of thing. But, you know, a vaccine is definitely pushing it way too far. Yeah, there's so many challenges.
0: I guess where I was going with that was you being the um, well-versed and seasoned self-promoter that you are. You've really, even like I was going to say, before the pandemic even occurred, you you were very good at that. That whole process has to be rethought. And now it's not as easy to self-promote when you don't have the chance to get up in front of people in a live setting. So how have you adjusted? Yeah.
2: yeah. I always drew it up as I am going to probably make at least in my mind, the best record I've ever made, and build my career to this point uh, where the world will end and no one will ever know what happened. Uh-huh. Um, is is so I kind of anticipated the apocalypse. Oh, uh, okay. But, you know, so, so you know, I had no delusions of grandeur that you know I I'd do this thing and everything would go flawlessly. So, so you're saying you
0: came up with the title of the album before 2020?
2: I, I as a child, as a young child, <laughs> working with the <theater. laughs>
0: thinking ahead some 35, 40 years later. I mean, right.
2: I mean, have you sat in traffic? I mean, it doesn't take a genius to come up with this title. Uh,
0: <laughs> right. But, all I do when uh, I sit in traffic is, fi- is figure out ways that they could fix the uh, traffic light synchronization in this country. It's ridiculous now that you bring it up, you know. Exactly.
2: So, But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean all, all that being said, I mean, I've been really fortunate to have a group of people that have kind of, you know, we've actually stayed more in touch since the pandemic in terms of social media and things like that. Yep. And we've developed this little kind of cool thing and we're all looking forward to, you know, getting back together. And, you know, we, we, we were, Jeff, Scott Soto and I were doing a bunch of shows together acoustically, which was just an absolute blast. And, you know, um, whatever capacity rolls towards me, I'll, I'll be happy to take them. I and I'd love to take this record out, um, you know, with a full band and and unleash it on people because I think it's a challenging record. I mean, I think in both ways, I mean, but to pull it off live, yeah. you know, will be, will be great. And um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I, and I hope it's sooner rather than later. But um I mean, all you can do is what you do. I mean, you can, you can just, you know, fortunately, I've constantly been in touch with basic people that I've been with. Um, so I'm not trying to forge a relationship with them uh, at, at the last minute. I think a lot of people kind of got caught off guard and maybe didn't spend as much time um, doing that. And then all of a sudden, they're trying to, you know, everybody on earth found themselves trying to sell a live stream uh, or try to, you know, make micro Facebook payments on their, you know, Facebook live streams. And I think that you know obviously presents a huge challenge. I mean, for yeah. me, like I've never had a record do better in terms of pre-sales or support ever. Um,
0: I, so I, I think yeah. I think people are hungry for music and more material. They can't go out and see shows, so they want to hear what everybody's doing. So that could be a one of the benefits of the times that we're living in.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like I mean, I, I always like to pretend like I know what I'm doing, uh, but my life is a series of happy accidents. Uh, so it, you know, this happened to work out brilliantly for me because I was planning on doing the record starting last year. That's when I was talking about doing it. And uh, I think I had done like the last moxa's rock cruise and the pandemic was just starting at that point. Like it was like, Oh, there's a cruise ship in Japan that's been, you know, uh, quarantined and it was just starting. But what wound up happening for me was that I was able to work with all these friends of mine that I, I love and respect, but it would have never happened otherwise because everybody would have been touring and doing their own things. And, it would have been insane. to so, trying to make the most of a horrible situation, I figured, I, I literally figured I'd ask like 30 of my friends to participate and, you know, four or five would say yes. Right. And, and everybody said yes uh, to the point where I didn't even get to put some people on the record or we didn't get to get, so we didn't have time. And the, you know, the record can only be so many, it's a yep. double album as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so even like even Corey Taylor uh, from Slipknot wanted to do something and, um, there's just so many more people I was going to work with. so it, that whole the whole process for this record um just couldn't have worked out better.
0: and was it all done virtually from different locations or did you manage to get some of it in the can before everybody started locking down?
2: No, I started this record from scratch, including the writing in March. oh um, wow, okay. And so, so I guess uh, yes, we were, it
0: was virtual for the most part
2: absolutely. I mean everybody you know everybody was able to you know I mean everybody fortunately in this day and age has pretty great home um, studios and um, was able to fire stuff off and uh, yeah so it was, a, it was a really interesting process and I think in a lot of ways I mean obviously you're a musician for years as well so it it was kind of neat because I wasn't one I didn't want to produce anybody you don't need to call up Bumblefoot or Butch Walker and tell them how to do their thing right? but it was kind of nice not to be there because it let them do whatever they wanted to do yeah. and develop that idea without someone's face going like hmm or, uh, before you even get the the juices flowing. So yeah. the absence, you know, my absence, <laughs> which is not the first time people have said this, um, but it, <laughs> my, it, <laughs> my absence worked in my favor. Uh, I think in, in this case, uh, everybody was able to really just freely be creative in their own environments, work through the parts. And I mean, to a person, I mean, every time I opened the files, it was just like, oh my God,
0: you get a pure representation of their interpretation of what's going on, which probably serves the music well.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I think obviously the the main point is each one of these guys in their own right is a badass. Right. So, you don't it's not like you're going to get something back from David Ellison that he can't play bass or something, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, when you pick great players, it's amazing how often great things happen.
0: There's a lot I want to get into with you. You uh, referred to me as a musician first of all uh, uh, about a minute ago, and I just want to correct you. I decided that I like having fun playing music in a cover band, which Requires me to just sacrifice all of my integrity, and now I don't get the respect that a musician should get. So, you know, there's a big difference so, between you guys so, that create your own music and uh, perform original music and guys like me.
2: Let me let me tell you something about integrity, my friend. Uh, it, that left that, that, that ship left the dock a long time ago, so I think we, we can both uh, be comfortable <laughs> at the same table sipping the non-integrity beers. Uh, because uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's about music, man. It's about being creative, and you know. So I consider you a great musician.
0: Well, thank you, sir. I, mean, I appreciate that. But I, I do kind of get the feeling uh, that the best of the musicians, there's a, there's a hesitation for guys at your level and the guys that have been in the places that you've been in the music industry um, to get into the cover music scene because it's, it's kind of labeled uncool, right? You know, it's funny. I mean, and
2: I think I'm um, kind of unique. Amongst even all the pro musicians I know, is that I never played in a cover band growing up. See? Um,
0: You're one of them. No, I'm just kidding.
2: No, (laughs) no, but, and and much to my detriment, uh, because I don't know anybody else's songs. So, like, every time I'm at some kind of jam or celebrity rock thing, and everyone's like, let's do Whipping Post, I'm like, I don't know Whipping
1: Post, dude. Right. Like,
2: I don't know anything. Like, I literally am the worst jam guy of all time. But, um, (laughs) and and the other thing I've kind of learned is that I think I was blindly unaware of the peril of plotting my own course. Like, and I got really lucky. There are a lot of super amazing musicians that you know and I know that are construction workers, you know, that like, I I don't want to pretend like my singular genius is the reason this all happened. I mean, I think you get a little bit of perspective with age and, um, you know, obviously I I hope I'm talented, but that's not enough. All the, you know, I mean, I think I just happened to, you know, make a lot of really good friends. I try to put myself in the best position. I try to make sure as a musician I'm I'm as good as I can be at doing what I do. But you know, you still have to get, you know it's like hockey, which we're both fans. I mean right. it's like, you know, there's a we've how many great hockey players have we seen that never even played college hockey?
0: Exactly. That
2: that could have. Yeah, know, they or, end up or, playing
0: in pick up games with us and stealing all the fun. Right. Yeah.
2: You know, so it's like it's like it's like that. I mean, I think sometimes you just gotta just be in the right position. And I think, like I said, that that kind of ignorance to the danger of like Even going back to when the, you know, the local band in Saigon kicked. I mean, we just played original music, not because we were so brilliant. We just like, this is just one, we're going to do it this way.
0: You you really didn't get a chance to get into doing the cover scene at all is really what you're saying because you were too busy working on other stuff. I get it. No, but when we played, when we played our
2: first shows, I mean, believe me, we played a lot of shows initially in front of. 10 people. And, and what pen, did you, you know,
0: sorry to interrupt, but what did you do when you had a show and you had an album's worth of material, but you were playing for two hours, you guys played covers. No,
2: Uh, no, we never played covers. I mean, we, wow. we played, we, we did original sets that were like an hour long. We played like places like, you know, like Treehouse, and, and, you know, I literally had to go and like, just do everything possible to bribe Darlene, to let us open for somebody like, you know, please, please. To the point where I was so annoying, she was either going to stab me or give me an opening slot.
1: Yeah. Uh, and,
2: th- and then that happened. And then all of a sudden we started really getting aggressive with the self-promotion. And then all of a sudden there was a couple hundred people showing up and then it was 500 and a thousand that were selling the button South out, kind of developed our own little ecosystem. Um, so yeah, I don't think any of us really came from that, um, you know, the, 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 the cover scene.
0: I was just trying to poke some fun and that turned into like a, a 10 minute semi-serious discussion, but that's okay. No, that's fine. Let's, I have dude, I never I never play covers. <laughs> <laughs> and I know how you feel about us that do. No, I'm just kidding. um, I'm gonna I wanted to get into a lot of stuff. In, I mean, I want to get into some serious detail as far as your your style. I want to talk vocal uh, vocals with you. and I also want to get into detail with guitar and production. But let's go ahead and listen to some music first, and then we'll dissect some of it. This uh, first cut that you released, I guess, your first single, dropped a, a few weeks ago from the new album called Songs for the Apocalypse. The first song from the apocalypse, for the apocalypse, was Apology. Um, I loved it the first time I heard it. In fact, I think I called you right after that and said, all right, you're coming on my show because I want to talk about this because it really got me going. Talk about Apology, the uh, inspiration for it, and the construction of it.
2: I mean, I demoed all these songs out. I kind of wrote everything in, in, in a piece, and then I was trying to, you know, like I said, I had spoken to all my friends, so. The drummer on that is actually Todd LaTorre from Queensryche, the singer for Queensryche now. Um, oh, wow. And the, and the bass player on that is a guy named Kevin Scott, who plays with Jimmy Herring, Wayne Krantz. Uh, he, uh, he played with uh, John McLaughlin on the last John McLaughlin tour. Just a monster bass player um, from a whole different scene, like kind of that underground New York jazz scene. Uh, he played bass on it. Uh, and a guitar player from KFM-DM. Uh, and he played with Peter Murphy, too uh, Andy Blacksugar uh, was also playing guitar on that track with me. So yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a cool kind of, uh, you know, Todd, the funny thing about Todd is he's such an amazing singer. Um, but he really fancies himself a drummer. So he's kind of a frustrated singer that really wants to be a drummer. I I don't know really how to describe how I put things together. Um, but I just kind of train a thought things. Uh, you know, I find the less I focus, I don't try to do anything in particular. I kind of just let the voices in my head, uh, when I'm not being institutionalized, uh, take over the, uh, you know, the process. And I find the more I get out of my way, the better things end up being for me. So most of these things come out in a giant chunk. Uh, and then I'll find my, and that includes lyrics, melodies, and that kind of thing. And then I find myself, I'll go back and go, okay, that word doesn't make any sense. Or, or maybe I could modulate, you know, this chord thing here, or I could do that. Um, I tend to write in large sections, like completely, like, uh, you know, the, the a good chunk of the song usually comes at
0: one time. And then, so was this one of the things, one of those times where you came up with a chorus section and sat on that for a while and then the verses came to you later?
2: No, it all, it all kind of came at once. I mean, I had the riff and kind of went through the melodies and then that led me, it, to me, it's very much like a kid, you know, playing with Legos. I mean, it's just, you know, you're just, Putting blocks together, and then oh, I could put a house over here, and you know, I can make a really tall building here. Let's see if that doesn't fall over, and you know, how do I support this? And it's it, that's really the process for me. Do you and, hear it, a
0: riff, and then the word or the 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 subject of apology comes to you just from the sound of the riff, or those do those two things have nothing to do with each other?
2: It all, and it's hard to explain, but this really all comes to me at the same time. So the bigger battle for me is when I'm in that kind of place um, is to get it all out on paper, which makes me a horrible collaborator because
1: uh-huh. when I
2: start to write, if someone sits in a room and goes like, oh, by the way, and I'm like, shut the fuck up.
0: You know, no, man, no, no, no. Yeah. Go. You play a part for them and they go, oh yeah, yeah, I like that. Let's do this. And you go, wait a minute. There's a whole lot that goes with this, you know? Right. Right.
2: And which is horrible on my part. Um, right. And it makes, it makes me a terrible person to collaborate with, but I tend to hear like full, like, including like lyrical content, um, Again, not that things don't get perfected a little bit over time, but generally speaking, like, I don't know what the hell I'm writing about until later, sometimes years later. And I go, oh my God, you know, that's when, you know, this was happening. And right. that makes sense now. Like I did, it's, um, you know, uh, again, not to make it a spiritual process because it's not bad. It's like, it's like, we again, going back to hockey, when you see someone playing that's not thinking, it's, yeah. it's so impressive. Yeah. Like yeah. they're not thinking about what skate, what stride right. or where the. It's just the game's coming to them. Right. And and that's kind of the similar thing. I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen for me in hockey. But uh, in, <laughs> in, music, <laughs> in, in music, I've always just felt like it's a language that makes sense to me. When I hear a melody, I kind of know where it's going. Uh, for the same reason where I can listen to songs I've never heard before and kind of make assumptions of what's going to happen. Like, I'm sure you can do the same thing, kind of. Not a superpower by any stretch, but right, right. it's it's always just made sense to me, like music. Um, that's where a lot of things don't make sense to me. Like, I'm terrible at math yeah, and things like that, but um, music, it's always something that just, it's never a problem. I could literally write songs all the time.
0: With this motif of a uh, uh, big top show, the circus motif, is the explain a little bit about how that fits into the theme of the album.
2: It just, this whole... I don't think it's a theme album so much, but it definitely has this vibe of this kind of undercurrent of a old-timey, vaudevillian, creepy, freak show, uh, you know, B or C market circus gone wrong. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. I see exactly what you mean. It's Apology, Songs for the Apocalypse, Jason Beeler, and the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra on The Bill Murphy Show. Apology, Jason Beeler, and the it is tough to say, the Baron Von Beeler Orchestra. <laughs> now you're losing the toaster. Yeah, <laughs> I just <laughs> sacrificed my toaster. So I want to get into a lot with you about uh, the vocals on this, but I want, to, I want to talk vocals later with you after we listen to another song. But right now, I want to talk a little bit about the guitar. There's some brilliant guitar work, and I'm sure... A lot of people have been quick to give you credit for it, but you are just as quick to give credit to the right people.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, without the, I, I feel like in many ways I feel like I'm guessing on their record. Some of these guys are just so Uh unbelievably generous and um, Devin Townsend, Bumblefoot, Clint Lowry from Seven Dust, Clay Cook from the Zach Brown band, Butch Walker. I mean, they were all super, super kind to uh, Stephen Gibb as well. And Emil Wurstler who's brilliant as well. I mean, it's a who's who of a uh, of, of shredtastic uh,
0: warriors, but those new that the, the guitar riffs that are especially the ones that are in between everything in there in particular
2: on apology a lot of that neat stuff is Andy Blackford really and good. he's just unbelievable I you know I mean, I'm I'm thrilled that people don't pay attention and are going to give me credit for all of his great work
0: when we talk about guitars who have you listened very close to in your younger days like I picture you sitting on the side of the bed and the, the stereotypical picking up riffs thing, who were you listening to when you were copying your first licks?
2: I mean, I was always a song, like, my earliest memories are, like, my parents having eight tracks of, like, Beatles' Hard Day's Night, or, like, The Fifth Dimension, and a lot of the early AM Motown kind of things in the car, and then when I got into the rock stuff, I mean, the first concert I saw that would be like a rock or metal was Ozzy Osbourne at Sunrise Musical Theater. Yeah. On the Blizzard of Osbourne, So
0: We talked about that in your last interview, and we uh, yeah. we realized that we were both at that show and were lucky enough to see Randy Rhodes live.
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, that cha- that's where I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, what is that guy doing for a job? That seems like it would be. Um, and then just kept, you know, picking stuff up and playing stuff. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so not interesting to say, but I'm such a music guy. Like, I mean, I like everybody from John Scofield to David Gilmore, Gary Moore, Neil Sean, you know, the list just goes on and on of guys that I just think are amazing. And like, you know, the way they wove melodies, and um, you know, but mostly all on the back of great songs. Like I never found a guitar player interesting if it wasn't on top of something great, like if uh-huh. You know what I mean? If that, like, like I could care like less. Like you didn't hear point.
0: somebody and go, or, or hear a particular song and then go, I need to learn everything that guitar player did. It was basically about the song and that situation.
2: Yeah. Will, I've always been more moved by like a sense of melody and, you know, just that. And then obviously, you know, I mean, what Gilmore does is just stunning. Right. So that, that's kind of the way guitar always appealed to me. And I, I just, it's just the tool I've always been able to use and always made sense to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I've never been like a, like a guitar head. I mean, I love Jeff Beck. I love, you know, all these different guitar players. But um, I think after that initial, you know, like everybody does, you know, you sit in your room for 12 or 14 hours a day uh, just playing, playing, playing. Right. So there's uh, I'm sure there's a little bit of time in there where I was kind of working through or trying to pick up people's things. But um, generally speaking, I always found myself more like, yeah, If when I hear a great melody, it kind of moves me. Right, You know what I mean? Like I, I feel that
0: more than I feel like a guitar riff. I want to get into the music scene. I was watching a part of one of your uh, interviews where you talked about the music scene, and it's, it clicked with me right away. You hear the expression from people, ah, the music scene in our town sucks. And then your comeback with that is, no, it's not the scene. You suck. Basically, uh, you could translate it into the scene doesn't make the music, the music makes the scene.
2: Yeah, man. I I look. I I am no guru. I, uh, you know, was sitting here with my bong, uh, you know, preaching to the world of how it should work. But in my feelings, are that you're in a world full of a lot of amazing things, um, and people don't owe you to just come out and sit in some local bar waiting for something good to happen. Right. Um, I think if there's something amazing, the way it's always happened in my little world is that I go home and tell holy shit, we got to go see this band. They were unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And then we go, and then the scene builds around that. And and from our scene, I mean, that was true of Nuclear Valdez. That was true of uh, Marilyn Manson. It was certainly true for us. I don't think there was a scene, per se, just waiting for us to come on stage. Those bands, uh, Collapsing Lungs, I think, did, did a lot of that as well. I mean, they kind of built this community around things that people found great. Right. Um, and, and that's the way it's always worked to me. And it always works. You know, I remember, you know, being friends with, you know, I'm still really good friends with Jason Flam. and, you know, his point was, look, you can go to any venue anywhere in the world and see a band play in front of, you know, 50 or a hundred people because they got their mom and their work friends. When you see a band that's drawing three, four, 500 people, something's going on.
0: Right. And the other thing is, is you hear the term, ah, you know, we're thinking about moving the band to Austin. There's a great scene there or Nashville or whatever. You pick a city. And you go, well, you know, the scene is great there because there were, you know, a 1,000 or 1,500 people coming out to see so-and-so band. That doesn't mean they're going to be there to see you when you get there. So I think people kind of trap themselves geographically thinking they need to be in a certain place.
2: Well, also, I mean, I think speaking for Saigon Kick in particular, or just my writing and my brain for whatever it's worth, I benefited from not being in L.A. and New York um, because at that time coming up, every band in LA was rehearsing in the same series of buildings Uh listening to listening to what everybody else was doing all the time. Um, when we were coming up, there was like a real diversity in, in Miami in general. It was like, I think we were on the tail end of nuclear Valdez, which had nothing to do with Saigon. K. Uh, and then there was us and then there was like some kind of last, you know, of the eighties kind of glammy bands that were kind of finishing that era. And then there was, you know, the Manson stuff was just starting, but nothing really had anything to do with each other because we weren't in these ecosystems where there's 500 people doing uh, warrant. Right. And there's five. Right. You know, so it helped me or hurt me, depending on how you look at it. But I didn't kind of get pummeled by all the same exact. You know, you're with all those bands who think exactly the same way about promotion exactly the same way about dressing, exactly the way the shows have to go. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, And obviously you can learn a lot from that, but I think it could also limit you in terms of your ability to kind of break out.
0: Another good mistake that happened over the years, right? It's great. It's it's like, it's like my, we have a lot in common in that respect, you know, in my broadcasting career, a lot of it has been a series of uh, right place at the right time and kind of oddly, you know, uh, odd evolution of mistakes, you know?
2: Look, I mean, I think the bottom line is you're talented, and you put yourself in good positions, and then these happy accidents happen more often to people who do the work.
0: Yeah, it makes it a little easier to fall into place. All right, I'm going to play another song, because I've got some things that I want to get into detail with you about your style. I may may pry a little bit into your personal style. I have some things to say about it, but a lot of it has to do with this song here. The next one we're going to play is... uh, Bring out your dead. The new album is uh Songs for the Apocalypse. It's Jason Bieler and the Baron von Bieler Orchestra. And bring oh, out
2: you lost that to- you lost the toaster again.
0: Yeah, I know. I keep losing the toaster. I'm not even <laughs> going to try to say it again. I'll just January twenty second. That's all I'll say. It's a lot easier to say. January twenty second is when it drops. So a little about Bring Out Your Dead. So you can uh, intro this like a DJ here. Tell me a brief, quick one paragraph story about the song and then intro it for us
2: you're going to hate my descriptors of songs. I mean, to me, it's just the the riff kind of came and the melody soon thereafter. And, uh, you know, it all kind of flowed into this bizarre, you know, sonic playground where I put sharpened, horrible toys out there for the kids to play with.
0: Same story as Apology. (laughs) Bring out your dead, Jason Bieler and uh, his band.
1: <laughs> and that and
2: that 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 song, just to, to recap that song, that has David Ellison from Megadeth on Bass. Ooh. Uh has has Devin Townsend, who's a genius, on the, who plays the guitar solo on that song uh, as well. And then there's a drummer from Brazil named Idu Komonadu who does the drumming
0: on it. So. Man, it's uh it's pretty serious stuff there. I want to make this comparison, and I've been toying it with with it in my head, and I'm hoping that it's just funny to you, but it also me click a little bit you know what I hear on this record when I when I kind of evaluate what you're doing vocally it sounds to me a little bit like if the outfield had tuned down a little bit and got a lot of distortion and got dark
2: not only is it a wonderful ear I'll using that from now on and all my uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll be the quote I use from this point forward on the record
0: you, yeah. you would you would say that's accurate
2: the way I always describe it is I don't consider myself a singer in the pure sense like even my friend Jeff Scott Soto he's a singer it's an amazing voice. Um, I consider myself fortunate in the sense that I have a sound. And some of my favorite artists have a sound. You know, uh, Tom Waits has a sound. Um, you know, I always wish I could have been Steve Perry or Robert Plant or Ronnie James Dio.
0: Dare I say that it sounds to me like there's a fear of you being front and center in a solo vocal situation, <clears throat> so that you've compromised by, by creating a second voice and a sound out of two voices, which is great. But is there anything to that?
2: Um, I don't know. I think I've always kind of thought about vocal melody this way. So I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind singing. Uh, I don't, I just, I kind of think, uh, I mean, I kind of know what I do or I know what I sound like or how I sound. And like you said, for better or for worse, I think it's got, it's like identifiable thing. So I don't, I mean, I'd love to be Sam cook, um, right. You know, or be able to sit there even like some of the stuff I've heard you do. Like, I just don't have that thing. Um, you know, even when I say, like, when I do these shows with Jeff Scott Soto, the the joke I always make is, like, I always feel like I'm on, like, you know, America's Got Talent and I'm about to get kicked off. And just start saying, <laughs> like, you know, you know, you know we're going to go with Jeff. You know, Jason, you got a great personality and we're hoping you come back for next season. But uh, we think we're going to, because I, I think, you know, but but not to be too self-deprecating. I mean, I'm very confident in what I do and proud of what I do. It's just not, you know, it's more in that sense, like, the singers I've always loved are, like, Perry Farrell, uh, Bjork.
1: Uh-huh. Who, in
2: fairness, is a brilliant singer as well. But uh, Tom Tom Waits, uh, people that you know have this thing where you instantly hear it and you're like, oh, that's, you know, you're not going to mistake Tom Waits for somebody else.
0: Absolutely. And I love what's going on there. It sounds to me like you're like me. You're the guy that when you're driving around and you hear a Beatles song or something, you don't sing the main line. You sing a harmony line to yourself.
1: Yeah.
2: Funny enough, when I'm writing, half the time, like the melody winds up being the wrong not the wrong note, but it, it's not the main line.
0: The secondary like, one have... ends up becoming the melody, right?
2: Right, or vice versa. Like, I mean, I'll realize later, like, wait a minute, I'm singing the fifth or the seventh or the, you know, yeah. or the, I, I don't have the root yeah. in the harmony. Um, so, yeah, a lot of times that happens
0: to
1: me,
2: like where the first note that comes to mind is not really the melody. But yeah, but uh, it's just kind of the way I, my brain works on stuff.
0: I thought it sort of confirmed what you said before, that you like a wide range of music. I'm taking it the, the first. For at least 15 minutes, you had to be an Outfield fan.
2: Oh, man, I love, I love all, you're going to be, like, I, my favorite quote is there's two types of music, good and the other kind. Right. You know, I, I mean, whether it's jazz, Miles Davis, uh, you know, Frank Zappa to Meshuga, Barry Manilow, I've seen him three times in concert, can't get enough of those tunes. I just, if it's great, like, and I, I, I'm compelled to be into it. I mean, so it all gets mixed up, I think, in my brain and comes out. Like, you know, I think that's the thing about any musician is you're kind of the sum of all your experiences. And I think because I've always listened, like, literally, when you talk about vocal harmonies, you know, it makes me think back, like, the fifth dimension and, like, up, up, away, uh, up, up, and away in your beautiful balloon, like, all those psychedelic harmonies from that song. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The dawning of the age of Aquarius. And to me, like, that's always been in my head. It's like, oh, that, and obviously all that Beatles stuff. I mean, to me, like, that, that, that sense of, and, and going to Barry Man alone. I mean, that's just the melodies are so like
0: yeah. amazing. It, it it does present a bit of a challenge to get them the the, uh, the lyrics completely understandable when you have two voices singing them.
2: I don't really worry about anybody understanding me. Well, there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just want their head moving. You don't care if they understand what you're saying.
2: I, I don't even understand you. Why would I no, expect that's, anybody else
0: then? You bring up a good point. So then I move to this, sort of on the same note. I'm assuming you did all the production and engineering on this and mixed it. Um, how does mixing your own voice um, affect your, your process? Because I know that's kind of a thing. It's a very personal thing. I find it a very tough thing to do. Even when I'm doing voice work, um, it's a challenge and kind of strange and weird to be making a production that has my own voice and be objective about the level and how it should sound.
2: I well, I've, I've been being yelled at. I've been I, well. I've had the good fortune of working with you know Bob Clearmount, Jack Joseph Puig, and all these like legends of legends. So I've been yelled at enough that I automatically cringe and try to make the vocal louder because I know that's going to be the first mixed comment almost right. anybody's going to make all the time. But I also always hear my voice and the harmonies as a part of the song, right like in the song. As to where a lot of times in pop music, you know, whether it's Lizzo or anything else, the, the vocal is so out front uh-huh. of the track. Um, so I probably, in, in all honesty, tend to, you know, bury the vocal because I hear it like a violin or a guitar part or a percussion. You know, to me, it's it's part of this tapestry. It's not like a separate out the front of it, which I guess at times can make some of the articulation of some of the lyrics a little difficult to uh, Follow
0: along. I think the, uh, uh, the, the the times where the lyrics are hard to distinguish, you know, kind of adds to the mystery of it. I, we've always had that over the years. We've, we've uh, walked around for years singing the wrong lines on songs and then finding out years later we, we had it all wrong. So I, 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 I there's kind of a, a cool, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's kind of a cool little mystery that uh, comes along with that.
2: I don't even know what I sang on half the songs I've written in the past. Sometimes people come up to me and go, you know, you're singing that verse wrong.
0: I was like, oh, yeah. Really? You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, and you know, I, I know I've kind of shied away from the uh, Saigon kick conversation with you. We did, we covered it a lot in our last interview. By the way, you can find it in our archives at BillMurphyShow.com. Um, and you can sort of listen to a then and now comparison to see how things have evolved for Jason. But we talked a lot about this in the past. There's a um, a standing sort of stalemate going on with the band right now, and I'm not going to dig into it too much with you right now. I kind of promised myself I'd spend the whole interview not even bringing up Saigon Kick, but it's just something you have to do. It's a part of your past that'll always be there.
2: It's like being uh, you know Vanessa Williams and they miss America, and then the photos come
0: out. Right. Well, okay, well, you guys didn't have that much scandal surrounding you guys. No,
2: No,
0: no, no. um. And I guess that's. I'm ju- I guess I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not even going to no. go go to the places <laughs> that everybody wants us to go. Please, please
2: feel free because that's you know it's a part of it, and I have no. Uh, you're not going to offend me.
0: I think I have to be kind of brutally frank with you, and it's I'm in an awkward position because I'm uh, you know friends with both sides of the party, so I don't want to kind of get myself caught in a situation where I have to, you know, mediate or speak. Any kind of negativity. There there, there is no
2: mediator. You know, the the reality of it is is that we don't get along in any way, shape, or form. Okay. And, and, um, you know, we tried to do the reunion show a few years ago. And for me, it just was like, you know, I've been using the statement of like, it's like seeing an old girlfriend that you haven't seen in 15 years and you first see her and you're like, oh my God, she's, we had this first dinner and she's so interesting. And I, I remember all these wonderful feelings. And then the next day you're in the same room and you're like, oh my God. There's that. Uh, there she is again. Like I, th- now, I know why we hate each other. Yeah, and and I'm sure they could say just as many nasty things. Um, I, I tend to let my career speak for itself. Uh, if anybody's super talented or or, or super nice or has these wonderful things to say about what they've done, then they you know they should look, rest on that. I mean, you we were a band for four years together, five years together. Yeah. Um. So you know, I spent 30 years not with them, mm-hmm. doing other things. Uh, I feel like, you know, with all due respect, you know, you know, <laughs> if I'm that essential that no one can succeed without me, which I don't believe, uh, you know, it, it's pretty simple. Like the writings on the wall where, you know, do if you're brilliant, uh, you know, live or die by your own work. I just, uh, I, I guess, I guess I don't blame anybody for my situation.
0: I guess I speak for a lot of fans of the band when I say that, I guess I've been waiting a long time for the, uh. Life is too short, uh, thought to kind of cross both of your minds.
2: No, I think I think that life is too short, um, and I don't carry a grudge. Like I'm not going to sit here, and, unlike some of the other people, I'm you know I'm not going to get into this he said she said and, and, and the ugliness of it. That that's i just had, I don't have any interest in that. I wish them all you know well and success and happiness. Um, so it's not like I'm bitter about it or mad as much as you know. I, I get it like you know I'm, I'm friends with the guys at skid row so for example like as a fan like i don't care that they don't get along i just want to see the band that i love those songs with so i get that as a fan uh, you know not equating saigon kick to skid row stature but i'm saying like, i get the fact that being a fan of a band and just wanting to see that yeah but being friends with scotty I also understand the other part of it. Like you just said, life's too short. And if you're not going to be functionally civil with each other and you're not going to derive joy from it, I'm, I'm, you know, it's it's like telling somebody you should get back with that girlfriend that you hate because I thought she was an entertaining dinner guest.
0: That is a fair analogy and I understand, but I think you're putting the. I, I, again, I don't want to get into this, <laughs> say too much no, but here. It, I mean, I Bill, just think you're, you're getting Bill into were
2: the. We're Sad, Yeah, s- sadly, we're not the first band in the history of Earth. No, no, uh, I know. To, to come up with this kind of, it's it, it's way. Too, it, as a matter of fact, I find it kind of boring. Well,
0: because,
1: uh,
2: not, not 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 the question. I mean the the dynamic of it because it's it's such a common. Uh, occurrence in any kind of creative situation that you know there's this infighting and bands so you know I while I wish I was in a situation that was like the Stones or U2 and we went on for 40 years or 50 years of wonderful creativity yeah um it's just not in the cards and 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 if, and, and I love the fact that those records and that time period mean something to people so there's no disrespect intended at all I mean I'll talk about it all day long I'm happy to go talk about the records or the shows that they saw and, how could you ever be upset about being creative at a period in your life and it touching a lot of people or, or meaning a bunch to, to, to a bunch of people. The unfortunate dynamic is between the band, not, not between the band and the fans. And I don't even think, you know, man, I can't speak for everybody. I mean, for me, it, uh, it just didn't work out. I mean, it's it's creatively not, you know, it's not functional for me. uh, and, And it's beyond having conversations or, or truth or, or people hearing facts. It's just this, 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 this. Un- it's a sad situation. I, I, I wish it was different. It's just not.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately. I get it. We'll just leave it at that, man, that reunion though, that you guys did do. I just want to bring up the fact that you did get, uh, Dan Warner to be part of that. And, uh, we miss him dearly. And I just, uh, it, it, I know it was a thrill for him to be part of that. And I just like to take any opportunity I can to, you know, pay tribute to Dan and say, rest man, in peace. Brother.
2: What, what an unbelievable, I mean, you know, it, it, just to get to work with him a little bit, we'd obviously known each other, and I've always been in awe of him growing up. Yep. But uh, to get to work with him through uh, through some of those things, just I mean, he's just like, he was just perfect. Obviously, as a human being, he was just wonderful. But as a musician, I've never, he's like a kind of guy that you could sit there and say, like, let's do this Tom Petty cover.
0: Yeah, he's an all-in-one tool, man. You could do But
2: besides, besides he would actually play a guitar part that was better than the part on the record. Like, right. Like, he had, he could just play perfect parts of right. anything. Right. Like there was nothing he did that didn't make the song or the piece you're working on better.
0: I spent a, and, I um, spent a Christmas Eve with him, and Kim, and um, we were just farting, you know just throwing songs around. He had a guitar in his hand. I said, you know, "Old Lang Syne" from Dan Fogelberg, and he just without missing a beat, he played the intro to it like it was like I was listening to the record. It was insane. And I he yeah, probably hadn't music. even tried to play that song at all, if not you know, maybe probably for the, you know, 15, 20 years, who knows? You know, it's amazing.
2: And the testament to his greatness was his, his, his mindset was always to make the people around him better. Yep. It was, it was never to take the spotlight yep. from in front of somebody or yep. to show off or to, you know, it was like, how can I elevate everybody I'm playing with right now yep. uh, and support in a supportive way. And it, you know, that, that, look, that, that's, that's what the sure. best musicians are made of.
0: Yep. I'm so bummed that I never did get around to having him as a guest. But rest in peace, Dan Warner. I'm so glad we could remember him. I want to give a quick shout-out to your buddy Stephen Gibb. Haven't seen him in a while. I hope everything's great with him. And Jason, thanks so much to for uh, taking the time to do this, man. And best of luck with the record. And whatever you decide to do in 2021, you think um, if this uh, desire to get back on the road is, is delayed even more we could see some uh, pay-per-view shows or, you know, live streaming events? We, I mean, I, I've kind of been hesitant to jump into that just because... You might have you know, to. For, you
1: might
0: have for to. me, I feel like, you know, uh, the
2: 50% of a live show is the kind of exchange between a crowd and, and, and performance. So of course. The, the idea of playing the cameras, you know, is not what I grew up dreaming of. Um, but that being said, I mean, we're talking about... The, I, I just got offered to do something, you know, kind of neat. And the fact that everyone is still kind of around and maybe available, if we can do something safely where I can get the different musicians, you know, without killing everybody, uh, which would kind of put a bummer on the whole live stream event.
0: We'll be, Uh, we'll be here for it. And if I have, if I do one of those, uh, Co- collaborative cover songs to play online. Can I get you to play a part? <laughs> Dude, I,
2: I would do anything, anytime to be in the company of your greatness. It would, it oh, would be an absolute stop.
0: Honor. I thought you were going to shun that entire idea, but uh, I, no. I'll, maybe I'll take you, you can up make on my, it. You can make my dreams come true. So a new NHL season is upon us now. It's pretty exciting. What did you think of that first uh, Panthers game last night against uh, the Stars? You know,
2: as always, I expected them to put up a, you know, a, a, a formidable point score uh, but i was even my expectations were exceeded
0: it's incredible <laughs> and it, it's going to it looks like is this it? may be their year
2: you know if, if there's one disappointment it's that once again my draft number was not called this year i <laughs> thought for sure i'd get like a pro tryout for camp or something but
0: you've been uh, waiting for that for like 30 years now i got news for you i don't think it's going to happen jason
2: is it because i'm too explosive my, my skating is that. Yeah, you, you
0: know. Yeah, you put the game on a, on a level that people can't follow, so that's why it doesn't happen. You know what it is right. You know, on that note, it's kind of um, a, a little disappointing to watch the NHL. I know it's the start of the season, but man, when we just got done watching the uh, World Juniors, this is like a different sport.
2: Yeah, it's all old men's sport. Those kids are so fast. Um, so you're saying I should I belong more in a World Juniors type team? Yeah, I would. I would I, yeah, I, I think you'd fit in
0: better there. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I master like the, I'm the master of the off speed hockey line, like where the other team assesses like is that guy even moving? Is he coming at me? Or is he go, is that a line change happening? Or is this like what what is happening? And they all get distracted while the other side of the team actually goes down and scores. <laughs>
0: All right, I think we'll let the listeners in on this little joke. We actually recorded, we're recording this uh, interview a couple of weeks before the season starts, so we're trying to make, like, a, a funny prediction. Possibly we'll have to see how accurate that is when all's said and done.
2: <laughs> Hashtag show business.